Well, good morning. My name is Derek, one of the pastors here. Uh, and if you are newer within the past few weeks, you're probably like, who's this guy? Because we've been in Honduras. Um, we had a great time there. Thank you for those of you that uh, supported and, and prayed. Uh, we're going to share more over the next you know, few weeks about what God did. But I think the big thing for me was, you know, this team was going to go to Guinea. Um, but God changed that. And I, I think God had a plan just through all of it, who he had on the team. Um, Karen Aleman, who is a Spanish teacher, was huge. <laughs> you know, we did a lot of kid stuff, and so she could actually speak the language, um, and she's good with kids, and, and a lot of the people other than me are pretty skilled at music, so we led a lot of worship while we were there in Spanish, which was impressive. Um, so God really had the right team at the right time, and, and a lot happened, even some food poisoning, um, which, I mean, every mission trip has to have some of that. So Thank you for those of you um, that supported that and, and prayed for that. God is moving there, and we just got to be part of what he was doing. And again, we're going to share more um, over the next few weeks. Uh, but let's start in prayer. Lord Jesus, we love you. We thank you for your word. We thank you for your people. Um, God, we are, we are not alone. We have you. We have one another. And God, we want to be all yours. We want to glorify you in all that we think, say, and do. Uh, and today, God, I pray that if there's something you want to say to us, that we would listen. Um, if there's a way you want to comfort us, we would allow ourselves to be comforted. If there's a way you would want to convict us, that we would be humble enough to, to repent, to confess, and to, to follow you. In your name, amen. So I'm going gonna, I'm gonna to have a confession time real quick. I have some pet peeves. Um, and I think we all do, but uh, one of mine is when I sneeze and Callie doesn't say bless you. We've been married 20 years, and she's starting to catch on, because I'll just say it to myself. I'll say, bless you, thank you. Like, it's, it's just one of those polite things that you do, right? Um, my biggest pet peeve, though, is, is when the person in front of me doesn't have a sense of urgency. Mainly, like, if I'm driving, and they're going five under the speed limit, it's like, speed limit, right? Or... Home Depot is probably my biggest one. If I'm going to Home Depot, I'm going because I need to get something and go get something done. And when the person in front of me is just kind of moseying and taking up the whole area, like, I'm just looking, whatever. I'm like, we got things to do, you know? I got to go get my stuff. And a lot of that, I just need to get over, you know? And I have to tell myself, get over it. Uh, but there's sometimes when a sense of urgency is necessary, like when the flight leaves at eight o'clock and you got to get there, right? The, the flight's going to go. Or dinner time, we got to wrap up the meal because the kids are going to youth group. Well, they're not going to eat. Youth group starts at a certain time. There's certain things where you have to have a sense of urgency. And today, I wanted to start with that idea. Do you have a sense of urgency sharing the gospel? Do you realize that there is only a limited amount of time for us to share the good news of the gospel with the lost? So this here is a timer. So I think Zach said before, everybody over 35 has heard this sound before. Uh, maybe some of you younger ones have not because it's all on the phone. But our life here is kind of like a timer. And it's ticking down. Time is winding down to when Christ returns. And at that point, it's too late. You know, I thought about actually preparing for this message and walking around in the parking lot with a, a sign, right? Uh, judgment is coming or something like that. Um, I don't think that's the best way to share the gospel. But the point is, uh, hurry up a little bit, right? Time is ticking down. And eventually, I wish that went longer, right? But eventually, time is up. And so do you have a sense of urgency 
to share the gospel with those that you know, those in your family, or, or maybe those that we don't know. The Great Commission includes, it says, go make disciples of all nations, right? At the beginning of Acts, Jesus says, you will be my witnesses in Jerusalem at home, in Judea, the surrounding area, right? In Samaria, those people you don't really like and, and don't get along with, and to the ends of the earth. So do we have a sense of urgency even to take this good news to people we don't know? You know, I mean, Thailand, we sent a, a trip there. That's a place that is an unreached people group. They, they haven't heard it. Do we have a sense of urgency? We gotta go. Because if you're anything like me, sometimes I can get busy just with life and doing the normal things, paying the bills, making the meals, and lose this sense of urgency. So we've been going through the Apostles' Creed, and if you have one of these bookmarks, they're kind of cool. We ran out, but Katie got more, and they're out there on the table if you want one. Um, But in the Creed, so far we've seen, number one, belief. It it begins with, I believe. And so we, we began with the idea that salvation and life in Christ is based on personal belief. We're not saved because we're part of a church, or our parents were Christians, or we're American. It's because we choose to believe the truth shared in the gospel. And then we looked at the idea of God. I believe in God, the Father, creator of heaven and earth. The identity of the one true God as creator of all things. Preston did a really good job that week of looking at this God. He's not the same God of the Muslim faith. He is not the same God of the current Jewish faith, right? We have to believe in the one true God. And then the identity of Jesus. Who is Jesus? The son of God, but also divine. And so we see the Trinity is really important in our Christian faith. But Jesus, who he is as fully God and fully man, including his virgin birth, where Alex talked about that two weeks ago, looking at God can do anything. And again, that's kind of a big deal. If we don't believe in miracles, then we can throw out creation. If we throw out creation, we can throw out the rest of the Bible. So God can do all things. And then last week, Dave looked at the idea of Jesus's death. At a moment in time, right, it refers to Pilate, the governor, the Roman governor in Judea at that time, meaning we can place this event at a moment in time that Jesus came, took on a body, and he died. And Dave referred to that as uh, the big plot twist, which it was. His followers were like, yay, the Messiah is here. The king, we're setting it up. Oh, he's dead, right? This, this plot twist, and he had to stop there. Well, I'm going to pick it up at this next part. And here's what it says in the creed that we're covering today. He descended to the grave. The third day, he rose again from the dead. He ascended to heaven and is seated at the right hand of God, the Father Almighty. From there, he will come to judge the living and the dead. As we've been going through the creed, we've been talking about kind of three areas where we need to acknowledge what this creed is teaching. And the first is confession. This is a confession of what we believe, which includes us in the family of faith for the last 2,000 years, right? 2,000 years, same truth. God has not changed. Truth has not changed in that amount of time. So also there's confession, but then clarity. Again, we don't teach the creed. We teach what the Bible says, And and the creed kind of clarifies and condenses, here's what the Bible teaches. But then also it helps us to be complete, right? Sometimes we go to God's word like a buffet. Oh, I like this. I don't like this. I'm going to avoid the lettuce. But we need need all of it. And today we're looking at the idea of judgment. We're going to look at the resurrection, but primarily here we see the idea of judgment. And this is absolutely like the cauliflower on the buffet, right? The, 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 the peas, it's the thing we want to skip over, the idea of judgment, but we can't. So here's your first note if you're a note taker. It says, we confess 
Jesus suffered judgment, rose bodily from the dead, is currently in glory, will return to judge. That's the scope of what we're going to look at this morning. And we're going to begin in Matthew. It's going to be our primary passage, Matthew chapter 25. So turn there. If you don't have a Bible or you want to use the one in the seat in front of you, it's page 921, uh, book of Matthew. The, the big number as you flip through, if you're not familiar with the Bible, that's okay. 25 is the chapter, and then each verse is numbered. By the way, side note, the Bible wasn't written with chapter and verse. It was just written. Later, people put in chapter and verse so that we could do this, and you could turn to it quickly. But that's kind of a helpful thought. Sometimes they split it where maybe we wouldn't want to split uh, a chapter. But we're going to be on page 921, Matthew 25, and we're going to look at this idea of judgment and of God's wrath. And, and I told you, it's one of those pieces of truth we want to put aside. Uh, 11 years ago, 13 years ago, the Presbyterian Church USA removed uh, one song from their hymnal. Because in that song, you probably know, it says, the wrath of God was satisfied. And they said, oh, we don't, we don't like that anymore. The wrath of God. And they, they wanted to change that line to the, the love of God is magnified. And so they said, we're going to change this. And the writers of the song said, no, you can't change. If you're going to use the song we wrote, you can't change that line. Because the idea of God's wrath and that it was satisfied in Jesus is central to the gospel. And so, so denominations and churches have thrown that out because it sounds bad to say that, that you're a sinner, that you've messed up, and judgment is real. So they tried to get rid of that, but we cannot get rid of that. Look at Matthew 25. We're going to start in verse 31. When the Son of Man comes in his glory and all the angels with him, then he will sit on his glorious throne. Before him will be gathered all the nations and he will separate people one from another as a shepherd separates the sheep from the goats. And he will place the sheep on his right, but the goats on his left. Then the king will say to those on his right, come, you who are blessed by my father, Inherit the kingdom prepared for you from the foundation of the world. For I was hungry, and you gave me food. I was thirsty, and you gave me drink. I was a stranger, and you welcomed me. I was naked, and you clothed me. I was sick, and you visited me. I was in prison, and you came to me. Then the righteous will answer him, saying, Lord, when did we see you hungry and feed you, or thirsty and give you drink? And when did you see, we see you a stranger and welcome you or naked and clothe you? And when did we see you sick or in prison and visit you? And the king will answer them, truly I say to you, as you did it to one of the least of these, my brothers, you did it to me. Then he will say to those on his left, depart from me, you cursed, into the eternal fire prepared for the devil and his angels. For I was hungry and you gave me no food. I was thirsty and you gave me no drink. I was a stranger, and you did not welcome me. Naked, and you did not clothe me. Sick and in prison, and you did not visit me. Then they also will answer, saying, Lord, when did we see you hungry, or thirsty, or a stranger, or naked, or sick, or in prison, and did not minister to you? Then he will answer them, saying, Truly I say to you, as you did not do it to the one of the least of these, you did not do it to me. And these will go away into eternal punishment, but the righteous into eternal life. 
Amen. That's somewhat of a long section to read, but there Jesus is sharing what's going to happen later. He says, when the Son of Man comes, that's Jesus. When I come, and he refers to himself as King, because he is the King. When he comes back, he's going to come on a throne in glory as King to judge. And it says he's going to separate the sheep from the goats. So sheep and goats, often they can be herded together. Right? They, they look similar. They do kind of the same things. And from a distance, you can see a herd, and they're all mixed up, and it's hard to tell the difference. But you get close, and, and you can tell the difference between a sheep and a goat. And that's the idea in this, this story that he's telling, is there's a lot of people on earth all mixed up through the whole history of time, and we can't always tell the saved from the unsaved. Even within the church, and we see that here, there are some in the church who say, God, didn't we do all this in your name? He's like, I didn't know you. This is a big warning to some of those in the church just doing religion, but not really surrendered to Jesus as Lord. He's going to come and he's going to separate the sheep from the goats. Again, this is not one of those stories that we like so much, one of these pictures, but he is going to judge. And how does he judge? See, I'm not crazy about this passage because we have to go to the rest of the Bible to kind of put it all together. And I am crazy about it because it's the Bible. But it looks like the people are saved by works. Right? They said, okay, we're here. You're calling us righteous. Why? Because you ministered to me. When I was hungry, you fed me. When I was lonely, you brought me in. When, I was thir- when did we do that? When you did it to the least of these. And then the other ones, they did not do these good things, and so they're out. Is this saying saved by works? Absolutely not. But it is the evidence of saving faith, and that is consistent through the entire New Testament and the old, actually, that the evidence of a heart that belongs to God is a heart of love, compassion, grace, and mercy. We are saved by faith alone in Jesus alone. But as James, Jesus' half-brother says, faith without works is dead. Meaning a faith that doesn't work itself out in life is, is probably not a real faith. And so the evidence of a true believer is their generosity, mercy, and love. That's really important. And here's the thing I I really like about this. And as I was studying, this is one of those sermons that God had to kind of do some things on me. And and luckily I prepared it long enough in advance that he could keep poking me and just, and some of that's going to come as as we go through. Um, But this is one of those that stuck out to me. This isn't obedience in the big things. These are all little things. You, You gave somebody a drink when they were thirsty. That has eternal value. Right? Uh, somebody needed a bed to sleep in and you let them, you gave them a bed to sleep in. You, you visited somebody when they were sick. Right? We, uh, when people get sick or have surgeries, one of the things we like to do is, is a meal train and we gather. That's right here. That's what he's talking about. You put a meal train together for me when I had surgery. These seem like really little things, but they're not. The little daily things add up into the big things. I, I have a tendency to want the big thing. Like, what's the giant thing where we're going to see a thousand people saved or whatever it is? No, the, the evidence is daily, really small things it, it, by our measure, but of, of compassion, of love, of generosity. And the creed clarifies this idea, right, of judgment. Uh, these people in verses 41 to 46, they're the ones that would probably be part of a church and they're going to stand before Jesus and he's going to say, why should I let you in? Because I was a good person, right? Or I was, I was in a Christian family. I did these things. But he clarifies that they will be judged. And here's something we, we have to notice and we might not like it. Verse 46, look at verse 46. And these will go away into eternal 
punishment, but the righteous into eternal life. Do you realize that everybody lives forever? Now, in a couple weeks, we're going to see believers live forever in a new body on a new heaven and new earth. Awesome. Non-believers also exist forever in a place we call hell. And in verse 41, he calls it a place of fire. And we're going to see some of this in Revelation real quick. But this is important. Non-believers will be punished for eternity in a real place we call hell. You know, one of the... uh, the reasons we look at the creed is it, it counters the isms of the day, right? And one of those, maybe you've heard of it, may, maybe not, of people that say non-believers will just be annihilated. They will cease to exist. That sounds better, but that's not the truth according to scripture. There is a real place. Uh, Revelation, and this is going to be on the screen, Revelation 20 verses 11 to 15 refer to this judgment, which we call the great white throne judgment. It says, then I saw a great white throne and him who was seated on it from his presence, earth and sky fled away and no place was found for them. And I saw the dead, great and small, standing before the throne and books were opened. Then another book was opened, which is the book of life. And the dead were judged by what was written in the books according to what they had done. And the sea gave up the dead who were in it. Death and Hades gave up the dead who were in them, and they were judged, each one of them according to what they had done. Then death and Hades were thrown into the lake of fire. This is the second death, the lake of fire. And if anyone's name was not found written in the book of life, he was thrown into the lake of fire. This rejects the ideas of relativism, universalism, annihilationism, if that's how you would say that, right? The truth is judgment is real. And we must believe what is true. We saw that in week one. We must believe that Jesus, God in flesh, died on the cross and rose from the dead. So we see this idea of judgment. And there's the bad news. I'll be honest. When we share the gospel, there has to be some of the bad news, right? You're a sinner. For all have sinned and fallen short of the glory of God. The wages of sin is death, first death and second death. You deserve hell. Sorry. I deserve hell. We do. That's where we would go if God didn't intervene. And so here's the good news. What happened when Jesus died? Dave covered last week Jesus' historic death. But what happened when Jesus died? Go back to the creed real quick there. The creed, it says he descended to the grave. If you're familiar with the creed at all, there's a lot of versions that say he descended to hell. And that's interesting, but that phrase was not added till about 500 years after the original creed was written. But what did that mean? He descended to hell. Did Jesus go to hell? Are we going to take a vote on this one? (laughs) Did Jesus go to hell? There are a couple verses that make it look maybe if you twist them a little bit. But again, when we read the Bible, we always interpret the less clear by the more clear. When Jesus was on the cross dying and and the the robber next to him placed his faith in him, what did Jesus say? Today you will be with me in paradise, not I'll see in four days. Right? He said, today you will be with me in paradise. So when Jesus died, he went to the grave, Sheol, the place of the dead. But biblically, we see that the picture that when somebody dies, before the second coming, right? When somebody dies, knowing Jesus, they go to a place called paradise or Abraham's bosom. We call it heaven. If somebody dies apart from Jesus, they go to a place we call hell where where judgment is begun. It's not the lake of fire yet. 
And it's not a place where there's like demons with pitchforks. That's not it. Hell is actually created for the devil and the demons. So they're not ruling down there. They're being punished down there. And that's going to happen in the, the, the judgment to come. But Jesus, when he died, he went to paradise. Abraham's bosom, the presence of God, and all believers, Old Testament and new. But here's one of those things where God was poking on me. Because, G and I've wrestled with this, my, I'll be honest, my entire life, I've wrestled with this idea. If I die apart from God, I am judged for eternity in hell. And I deserve it. I agree with that. Jesus died, and he rose from the dead and glorified. How is that a fair payment? I, and I, I, I've wrestled with this and just tried to ignore that, that question in my own heart. Jesus' sacrifice wasn't eternal, but mine would be. But I think that's because I don't understand God. I don't understand what happened when Jesus did suffer, meaning Jesus did have to suffer equivalent to what I would suffer. In fact, what all of humanity would. And it's not like a debt that was discounted. You know, it's not like, like you know, you have a debt and the creditors are coming. Like, if you pay 80%, we'll cover the debt. No, Jesus paid it 100%. And here's, here's the word that God put in me. Jesus experienced hell. He didn't go to the place of hell, but Jesus experienced hell. What is hell? It is separation from God and it is punishment. Jesus bore the weight of the sins of all people of all time on his shoulders. That's hell. Jesus took God's wrath on himself so that we could avoid it. When Jesus was on the cross and he cried out, quoting the Psalms, my God, my God, why have you forsaken me? Right? And the clouds covered and it got dark. Jesus experienced judgment 100%. 100%. We want to jump to the resurrection. I want to jump to the resurrection. But I think we have to sit in, in that a little bit. Sin is a really big deal. Sin deserves eternal punishment. And Jesus took it. All of it. In his humanity. He wasn't, you know, God. Who, it wasn't a big deal for the... No, he took it as God, as man. He took it completely. 500 years before Jesus went to the cross, God had his prophet Isaiah tell us this. He was pierced for our transgressions. He was crushed for our iniquities. Upon him was the chastisement that brought us peace. And with his wounds, we are healed. All we like sheep have gone astray. We have turned everyone to his own way. And the Lord has laid on him the iniquity of us all. God poured out his wrath completely on one person, his son. If that doesn't break your heart, nothing will. He poured out his wrath on the one he would love the most. Jesus took it. He took it. Look back at Matthew 25, 34 real quick. It says, then the king will say to those on his right, come, you who are blessed by my father, inherit the kingdom prepared for you. Inherit. When does an inheritance come? At the death of somebody else. Jesus had to die in order for us to get his inheritance. Remember Jesus, before he went to the cross, he was praying, said, Father, is there any other way? <laughs> is there any other way? I don't want to do it this way. And the Father, he didn't really answer that. He said, my, my grace is sufficient. There was no other way. That is the only way. 2 Corinthians 5.21 says, For our sake he made him to be sin who knew no sin, so that in him we might become the righteousness of God. You might think I'm hitting this a little hard. Yeah, because it's all over scripture. Jesus became sin. 
What he suffered was hell. He went through hell. He did not go to hell, but he went through hell. Full judgment. Jesus was judged for our sin, listen, so that we don't have to be. That's the good news of the gospel. Jesus was judged for our sin so that we don't have to be. That was the plot twist Dave spoke about last week, the plot twist of the Messiah dying. And then he said there's a great plot twist next week, and that is the resurrection. But first, before the resurrection, we have to go back to Isaiah 53, 10 and 11. In this, it says, yet it was the will of the Lord to crush him. He has put him to grief when his soul makes an offering for guilt. That's Jesus' soul for our guilt. He shall see his offspring. The father shall see his son. He shall prolong his days. The will of the Lord shall prosper in his hand out of the anguish of his soul. This is speaking of the father looking at his son dying on the cross for us and receiving the anguish of his soul. He shall see and be satisfied. By his knowledge shall the righteous one, my servant, make many to be counted righteous and shall bear their iniquities. How is it possible that we are made righteous? Because God's wrath is satisfied, done, paid in full. Meaning if you come to a church you join, and they're like, hey, Jesus is good, but you also have to do something. No, Jesus was enough. When Jesus died on that cross, he said, it is finished. He meant it. He was not a liar. That was it. God's wrath is satisfied. How do I know? Proof, the resurrection. That's why we have to believe in the resurrection. That is God saying, I accept this sacrifice. The judgment is paid. I'll admit, I don't fully understand Jesus' suffering. I don't think I I ever will. I don't think any of us fully can, but I believe it's true. Jesus went through hell, so we don't have to. But there was a moment where God said, done. My wrath is satisfied. I am content. And Jesus rose from the dead. It's in the creed, and so I'm going to read Matthew 28, 1 through 10, the resurrection. Now, after the Sabbath, toward the dawn of the first day of the week, Mary Magdalene and the other Mary went to see the tomb. And behold, there was a great earthquake, for an angel of the Lord descended from heaven and came and rolled back the stone and sat on it. His appearance was like lightning, and his clothing white as snow, and for fear of him the guards trembled and became like dead men. But the angel said to the women, do not be afraid, for I know that you seek Jesus who was crucified. He is not here, for he has risen. As he said, come, see the place where he lay. Then go quickly and tell his disciples that he has risen from the dead. And behold, he is going before you to Galilee. There you will see him. See, I have told you. So they departed quickly from the tomb with fear and great joy and ran to tell his disciples. And behold, Jesus met them. And said, Greetings. And they came up and they took hold of his feet and they worshiped him. And then Jesus said to them, Do not be afraid. Go and tell my brothers to go to Galilee, and there they will see me. Jesus rose from the dead. We're going to cover resurrection a little bit more in two weeks, but this is important. Jesus rose bodily from the dead. In the tomb, his body was laid down. His body came back. It was not the same body. It was a body that was changed. Again, two weeks, we're going to dig into that idea. But he was risen from the dead. They clung to his feet, right? He would appear to his disciples, say, here, touch me. Touch the scars in my hand. Touch the scar on my side. He ate with them. He had a very real body. So some of the reason the creed includes this is there were heresies coming. Oh, Jesus, because he was not fully man, he just appeared like he didn't actually die. 
or, or the idea of, of he didn't, he wasn't God, he didn't actually fully raise. It was just a spiritual resurrection. No, the Bible makes clear and the creed clarifies and the church for 2,000 years, the one true church has confessed it. Jesus rose bodily from the dead. That is necessary for salvation. We must believe it. We must believe that Jesus rose bodily from the dead. Romans 10, 9. If you confess with your mouth Jesus as Lord, believe in your heart God raised him from the dead, you will be saved. This is not a secondary doctrine. This is not something we can take or leave. This is central to our faith. Again, more on resurrection in two weeks. But where is Jesus now? Right? So, so we see the idea, and, and it's there in the creed. He died. He descended to the grave. He experienced judgment. He rose from the dead. Then he ascended. Ephesians 4.10 says it this way. He who descended is the one who also ascended far above all the heavens, that he might fill all things. He who descended, Jesus is eternal. He was with the Father since creation. He was the word in Genesis 1 that spoke and created everything. So he was in heaven. He descended when he became flesh. He descended when Mary, the virgin, gave birth to Jesus or, or was conceived. That's when he descended. Then he, he died. He rose from the dead in front of the disciples in Acts 1. He ascended into the clouds. Jesus ascended. And now he is sitting on a throne at the right hand of the Father in heaven. Where is he? <laughs> so maybe this is just me, but my mom, okay, he rose bodily, but he's not here on earth. So he's still in his body somewhere else. I don't know. <laughs> I, I, I've heard theories that it's uh, in the universe behind uh, one of these other galaxies. Um, I, I know. Um, but like you, they pointed a, a, a microphone at a galaxy and there's some certain sounds coming from it. Oh, maybe, right? I don't know. Another dimension I don't know. But what I do know is Jesus is currently in his risen body at the right hand of the Father. And here's what we're looking at today. He's going to return to judge. He is going to return to judge. Right? In, in, the, uh, in the creed, it says, from there he will come to judge the living and the dead. That comes from 2 Timothy chapter 4. It's on, on the screen. He says, I charge you in the presence of God and of Christ Jesus, who is to judge the living and the dead, and by his appearing and his kingdom. When Jesus returns, that's when judgment comes. There's two judgments. There's a great white throne judgment for non-believers. And we avoid that. If our name is written in the book of life, we will not be judged there. Then there is what's called the Bema seat judgment for believers. And that is for rewards, not for sin, right? Because our sin is wiped clear and clean. But here, this idea of judgment comes out. And we see that in Matthew with the sheep and the goats. When Jesus comes, he is going to separate the sheep from the goats, and he is going to judge. Here's the truth. Jesus died, rose in glory, ascended to heaven, will return to judge. Does this sound redundant yet? <laughs> I'm almost done. But this is the truth in Scripture articulated in the creed that we must accept. But I want to address one thing real quick. Maybe you have felt this or you've heard this. My God won't judge people. I believe in a good God. I believe in a loving God, not a God who would send people to hell. Well, part of that is, is the idea, uh, everybody has the choice. And so anybody that's in hell has chosen to be there. Um, go, go, yeah, dwell on that one a little bit. But everybody willfully rejects Jesus will be in hell. But God, let's think about his character. Because one of the problems with this idea is people try and change God to fit what they want. Well, he is good, he is loving, but because he's perfect, he's also just. He's also just, and his wrath against sin 
is real. His wrath against evil is right, right? Look in the Old Testament, see the time of, of Noah and the great flood. Such wickedness, God had to judge it, but he saved a remnant to bring through. Sodom and Gomorrah, right? That one city was so depraved and so evil, God said, I got to judge it. And he judged it. And that judgment is coming again. But he doesn't take joy in it. Ezekiel 33, 11. Say to them, as I live, declares the Lord God. Dang it. <laughs> Here's my point with that. We don't know when he's coming. I'm serious. When the scripture talks about his return, we will be surprised. If we are faithful, we won't be surprised because we're always ready. But people will be working in a field. Two women. One will be taken, one left. Right? Two people will be working over here. One, it's going to happen like this. We don't expect it. I did this on purpose because I have known those who say, someday I will repent. There was a guy I worked with when I was in college. And he was raised in a, in a Christian house. And, and he knew the truth. He's, but he's living a life of debauchery. He's like, I want to do this now. But someday I'll repent. Someday I'll turn. And I'll probably go into ministry. Like, dude, you could die today. Jesus could come back today, and it's too late. Today is the day. If you're one of those that said, I'm putting off my repentance. I want to do some other things first. Don't, don't, don't. Today is the day of salvation. We don't know when he'll return, and we also don't know when we will die. Back to the heart of God, <laughs> right? Ezekiel, say to them, as I live, declares the Lord God, I have no pleasure in the death of the wicked but that the wicked turn from his way and live. Turn back, turn back from your evil ways. He takes no pleasure in the death of the wicked. Jesus, the week before he went to the cross, he looked out over Jerusalem and he wept. He said, Jerusalem, Jerusalem, oh, you people who killed the prophets, that I would gather you together as a hen gathers her chicks. Jesus looked at these people and wept for them, wept for their souls. And in 2 Peter 3, 9, Peter articulates this idea of God's heart, but he also answers the question, why has Jesus not come back yet? What's the delay? And Peter writes, the Lord is not slow to fulfill his promise, that is the promise to return, as some count slowness, but is patient toward you, not wishing that any should perish, but that all should come to repentance. This is not universalism. Not all will come to repentance because God gives us the freedom to choose him or reject him. His heart would be that all would be saved. That's his heart. So what difference does this truth make to us? Number one, do you believe? Do you believe what the Bible actually teaches about Jesus being judged for your sin? That he died, he took God's wrath, and he rose from the dead. Do you believe it? Do you believe it? Will you confess that you believe it and say, Jesus, you are Lord of my life? That's number one. But then number two, are you willing to share that with somebody else? Right? If we truly understand, if we've experienced God's grace, we should have a sense of urgency. 2 Timothy 4, it'll be on the screen, but in here is the verse I already read, right? That he's going to come to judge the living and the dead. But look at the context around that. 2 Timothy 4, 1 through 6. He says, I charge you in the presence of God and of Christ Jesus, who is to judge the living and the dead and by his appearing and his kingdom. Therefore, preach the word. Be ready in season and out of season. Reprove, rebuke, and exhort with complete patience and teaching. For the time is coming when the people will not endure sound teaching, but have itching ears. They will accumulate for themselves teachers to suit their own passions and will turn away from themselves 
or will turn away listening from listening to the truth and wander off into myths. As for you, always be sober-minded, endure suffering, do the work of an evangelist. Fulfill your ministry. Endure suffering, do the work of the evangelist. Yes, this was written from Paul to Timothy, who was a pastor. But this truth applies to all of us. Are we all gifted in evangelism? No. Are we all pastors? No. But we are all called to be a witness. And time is limited for all of us. Endure suffering. I really like this uh, in, in 2 Timothy. It says, preach the word. You might sit there and go, that's your job. And you're right. But this isn't just this. It says, be ready in season and out of season. So not just on Sunday from 10 to 11. In season and out of season. When you're driving home. When you're in the drive through at McDonald's. When you're at, all, be ready to preach the word. And I'll tell you, as a parent, this is a huge parenting thing here. Be ready to teach the truth of, like when you're going to bed, when you're waking up, when something happens, when you stub a toe. I mean, there are opportunities all the time. And so for us, we are preaching, we're, we're ready in season and out of season all the time. We are looking for an opportunity not to beat people over the head, right? Not, not to make people feel awkward necessarily, but there is a time for that. But to, to prayerfully in our spirit be in communion with God and ready to share the truth. Listen, God's wrath is satisfied. So enjoy forgiveness and new life, eternal life. But let's keep this truth, let's not keep this truth to ourselves. Enjoy it, right? We could hear this and walk out down. Oh, judgment is real. That's not the point. The point is for us to rejoice in our forgiveness that we won't be judged. But also a little bit of a prod, right? Have a sense of urgency. Let's have a sense of urgency. So this week, um, one next step, one next step. Is there somebody in your life that you can share this truth with? If you know their name, I, I'd say even during this next time, come write their name and stick it in the prayer wall over there. Just put, and, and you're making a commitment to God. I'm going gonna, I'm gonna to look for an opportunity this week. Maybe you don't know somebody. And for you, it's, I'm going to look for an opportunity. Some, God may have something to do, a divine appointment. Be aware. Let's just be aware of that this week. Now, we're going to finish the way we have for the past six weeks by reading the Apostles' Creed. So if you would, stand with me. It's on the screen here, and we will read this together. I believe in God, the Father Almighty, creator of heaven and earth. I believe in Jesus Christ, his only Son, our Lord, who was conceived by the Holy Spirit, and born of the Virgin Mary. He suffered under Pontius Pilate, was crucified, died, and was buried. He descended to the grave. The third day he rose again from the dead. He ascended to heaven and is seated at the right hand of God the Father Almighty. From there he will come to judge the living and the dead. I believe in the Holy Spirit, the Holy Universal Church, the communion of saints, the forgiveness of sins, the resurrection of the body, and the life everlasting. Amen. This song we're about to sing, these words are perfect. Let me encourage you, as this song begins, do as you feel led. If you're ready to sing it out, sing it out. But maybe you want to just sit down and listen. Maybe you want to sit down and let the Holy Spirit work on you a little bit. Listen to the words of these wonderful singers we have here. And let the Holy Spirit comfort you, encourage you, and maybe teach you. And when you're ready, belt it out. <laughs>